0: Welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Stephen Husky, owner of Husky Financial Consulting and Wealth Management. Our goal is to help leaders accumulate wealth and empower them to build a life they deserve. Each week, we interview a purpose driven leader or medical professional that is building a thriving business with community impact. We ask tough questions, learn the habits they practice to build successful careers, and discover a secret they can pass on to help others build their businesses. It's time to talk money, meaning, and maximum impact. Hello and welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the go-to podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs hoping to learn more about achieving financial wellness, accumulating wealth, and building the life they deserve. As you know, in every episode, we either talk about a subject that's pertinent to today's conversation around money, or we interview a purpose-driven leader or medical professional that is not only building a business, but giving back to the community as well. In today's episode, we have Dr. David Geyer. He is an orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist, and a media medical expert. I am so glad to have you on, Dr. Geyer. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, so just like a lot of the folks that I've been interviewing, I saw a lot of your great content on LinkedIn, and you're delivering a lot of value around um, questions around COVID, different medical things that are happening in the community, different health questions that people come up with. Can you give us a brief rundown about you, Dr. Geyer, your background, and, and tell us about you and your business.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I am an orthopedic surgeon by nature, as you said, uh, I'm double board certified orthopedic surgery and orthopedic sports medicine. And that's basically after residency and fellowship, you know, what I went out to do, I was uh, the, uh director of the sports medicine program at MUSC here in Charleston, the medical university of South Carolina did that for eight years. Then was the director or the medical director of sports medicine at East Cooper hospital here in Mount Pleasant. And got to take care of pro athletes and high school athletes, college athletes, and all kinds of adults from high level triathletes and marathoners to weekend warriors. And it's been great. And I love every bit of that, getting people back to what they love to do. Uh, But over somewhere in that, what, 15, 16 years, I realized that as great as it is to help people one-on-one, I mean, you you make a huge difference in their lives. I wanted to reach people, you know, in a bigger way than you can in your office. And that's where initially I started social media back 2009, 2010, blogging and Twitter and Facebook. And then really over the last four or five years, even though I've done it, you know, a little bit before, but really went heavy in traditional media. So TV, radio, uh, newspaper, magazine interviews, things like that. So now I'm the medical expert for the ABC and Fox stations here in Charleston and do segments every night and do them across the country with different TV stations. And that helps me reach tens of thousands of people sharing information, not just on orthopedics, but all aspects of medicine and health and wellness. Because at the end of the day, it's about helping people feel and perform their best And I'd love to help millions of people do that rather than just the, you know, anywhere from 10 to 40 or 50 that I might see in the office on any given day.
0: So how how would you get in front of all of these people? Did you just establish your authority in that space and people reached out to you and said, hey, can you come speak to all these people? Or were you actively searching for opportunities to be in front of the camera? All of those, quite honestly, you know,
1: the (laughs) one thing about social media is that when you start creating content, um, people see it, and then you get asked to do other ones, or you get, you know, you appear in the Google search rankings on something you wrote about, and then a a reporter reaches out to you when he or she has a story on that. And that's, that's really kind of how I got started. Uh, But no, I mean, I, I knew I, you know, over the, especially the last five or six years, I wanted to get into the media at bigger and bigger levels. And so, yeah, you do have to do work. It was, you know, meeting news directors and producers here in Charleston and, and just offering to do things one time or a few times. And then they just keep reaching out to you and then they get to where, Hey, this is helping ratings. People really like it. And then they, uh, basically allow you to do it pretty much every day. But there's no right or wrong way. I mean, I know physicians that hire publicists, and there's some pros and cons to that. You know, I know people that maybe it's not traditional media, but they you know, keep a blog so that they can write a book, or I mean, there, there's all, all different ways to do it. But it's one of those things that as you start creating content, opportunities that you never expect may pop up, and you may find a passion that you didn't think you had. I know that was certainly the case with me with writing. Uh, my blog articles led to a an, uh, Post and Courier, the daily newspaper here in Charleston led to a regular column in that. So uh, and that's only really because I really like it. So it's, I, I firmly, uh, firmly believe that physicians is, I know we're all busy and and have time and really not just physicians, all healthcare professionals really need to create content. There's so many good reasons to do that. But, but I feel like that's something that I feel like if you really want to help people or people in a bigger way on a bigger scale, creating content is one of the best ways to do it.
0: You know, that's actually brings up a really good point is that medical professionals are so busy continuously, you know, learning what they have to in their own profession to help themselves and others. But how do these people who have so much of this energy and effort focused on learning and, and serving their clients, how do they continue to, to write and do what they love to do and spend time with their family and manage their own finances? How would you do that?
1: Yeah, believe me, it is hard. And I, I went through a period of burnout, uh, probably 2012, maybe 2013, uh, before I left uh, the academic center, where I was just working myself into the ground at work, and then doing all this at most every night. And it just wasn't sustainable. And so I had to learn to, and and this would be what I would tell everybody, I had to learn what didn't matter for me. And that's not going to be the same for everybody. But there's just, Things that I just now refuse to do. I don't take charts home with me after work. I get them done at work. And at least in my prior practice, I'm starting a new one today, actually. But in my prior practice, we hired scribes that you know, so that the charting didn't take very long. I almost never attend meetings. I just don't. I think they're an enormous waste of time that can be solved just by an email. <laughs> right. So I mean that in in academics and hospital employments that knocks out m- multiple hours a week, especially in academics. That can be ten hours of your your weekly schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, And and it's going to be different for everybody, but there's ways that you can sort of, you know, it's batching and sort of doing all certain types of things at the same time, or, or I'll do longer clinics some days to have shorter time, other days to allow me to do that stuff. And, And then I'm a big believer in that you don't cut into family time, you don't cut into like personal health time, personal well-being time. So you exercise every day, you know, you don't give that up, you don't cut into your sleep, you don't cut into time with your, your husband or wife and your kids, because that that's really bad long term. But it, it's going to be different for everybody. But I, I feel like there's a way you can record a short you know, two to three minute video or write a 500 word article once a week. We're not talking about huge time commitments here. And if you just cut, make a few changes to your schedule, I promise that I can't imagine there being somebody that couldn't do
0: that. Well, based on our conversation before we started recording, it sounds like you found a way to have the actual blended life or the work life <laughs> balance that people look for. Tell us about your vacation at the Galapagos with you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I'm perfect, but I am trying. <laughs> that vacation that uh, we were talking about, yeah, we just got back from a, uh, well, it was a seven day cruise in the Galapagos Islands, but the whole trip turned into 12 days because there's so much travel on either side. Yeah. Uh, but that was the first real vacation I had, I've had in probably a year and a half because I've gone to like Florida, you know, with my kids is see my parents, but you always have your phone and your laptop where you can check email and stuff. Uh, But here we had essentially no internet, there was internet, but uh, it was too slow, like nothing would load emails wouldn't load any website with pictures wouldn't load. So we basically didn't have internet. And it's great to be off the grid. And then just to get to see, you know, and swim with sea lions right up against you and sea turtles and see land tortoises and these birds that are nowhere else in the world. And they're Inches from you, like they're not scared of humans at all. Um, I was a little skeptical that my kids would be into that, uh, quite honestly, because they very much like in my son's case, sports, and in my daughter's case, you know, dance and Instagram, and all you know, but they, yeah, they had a great time, great family experience. But of course, you pay for that when you get back, and then you're swamped
0: (laughs) with work, which is what I've been dealing with since. That's that's a real Sunday scary moment for people when they get back from (laughs) vacation.
1: Yeah, well, but uh, it, I wouldn't trade that for anything. It's unlike any any vacation I've ever done, uh, at least with the kids. So,
0: yeah. You mentioned this new practice, Dr. Guy. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Yeah, this is going to be
1: uh, a work in progress. You'll have to keep up with me in a few months, and, and uh, podcast or not, and we can kind of chat about how it's going. Sure. So, like I said, I've done traditional orthopedic surgery, orthopedic sports medicine now for 15 years no, 16 years now. And, uh, you know, that either academics or hospital-based where somebody sprains their ankle, they make an appointment call and, and they go in and it's it's just, it's very standardized. You get 10 minutes with the doctor, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I decided for a lot of different reasons that it was time to, and this was something I've been planning for about you know a long time, but I was always going to do it, you know, four or five years from now when the media really took off to a bigger level than it is now. But I, I kind of was frustrated with some things at the hospital employee practice, and I decided this was the time to make a break. So I am um, joining a practice that is cash-based, um, and it's not an orthopedic surgery practice. There aren't many, well, there are some cash-based orthopedic surgery practices in the country, but this is a little different. This is, uh, so I'm sort of blending orthopedics and sports medicine with a functional medicine practice, so I'm joining an anti-aging practice where the other provider there does, you know, hormone replacement and, and all sorts of treatments to really help you feel better as you get older, uh, but I'm going to be helping with bone and joint health. So all these people that are super active like me, but your knees start to hurt, your shoulders hurt, your you know, you know, I'll be focusing on ways to help them get over that without surgery, because there's a lot of great Things that out there that just you can't get through an academic medical practice or a hospital employee practice treatments that just you're just not allowed to prescribe things like hyperbaric oxygen and things like shockwave therapy and peptides and exosomal injections and things like that, that really are as we move forward here in the next five to 20 years are gonna eliminate a large number of the orthopedic surgeries that are done, especially if we can start doing them on people in their 30s and 40s before their knees and shoulders and hips start to break down. we can dramatically cut into the joint replacements, dramatically cut into the knee scopes. Um, So I'm really excited. Uh, We'll see, I said, check back with me in a few months. The question will be, are people with ankle sprains or, hey, I pulled my hamstring, gonna pay cash to see me when they can go somewhere else and use their insurance and depending on who I ask everybody says something different so
0: I'll be curious to see how this goes. Honestly I think by, based on my own experiences when I had a pre bursitis from all the running that I do yeah. I would definitely go to see a cash-based practice versus you know going and having to deal with insurance yeah. so I, I think it all kind of is based on experience but but my next question to you is do you feel like in America and the medical profession as a whole do you feel like everyone's leaning more towards the functional medicine piece versus going and getting treated with you know other other medicines
1: it's certainly getting there and with the if you just look at, at sort of the new york times bestseller lists over the last three four years and you see tim ferris you see ben greenfield and dave asbury with bulletproof coffee um, promoting a lot of these Uh, non-surgical. Yeah, functional. And and I don't want to say, I mean, they also promote some alternative and holistic medicines, lots of use of supplements and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. We'll be doing some of that. But then adding in things that are science-based, you know, very well-researched, but not in the traditional... Medical practices, but they, and and I say this not to necessarily be critical, but the traditional medical system is is aimed at generating surgeries. That's where hospitals make their money. That's where surgeons make their money. Clinic visits don't make much of anything. So there wouldn't be any real incentive to prescribe hyperbaric oxygen uh, or you know shockwave therapy for an injury that if there are ways to get more patients that need surgery. And so um, that's where I think the functional medicine, everything we're going to be doing is very research-based, but it's not going to be something that you're, that most orthopedic surgeons are ever, I mean, most orthopedic surgeons have never even heard of the peptides we use, even though there's right. tons of great data on these. Yeah, uh, you know, In fact, I'm seeing a patient today that called for an appointment uh, Thursday and they uh, the uh, director of clinical operations there, went ahead and started them on two peptides and then I was going to see him today. He called this morning and said, hey, I'm already feeling great. I'll call Wednesday and if I feel like I need to see him. So I I feel like there's so many better alternatives than cortisone shots, which we know are not good for you, and surgeries. Now, we probably aren't going to eliminate all surgeries, but I'd like to at least give people the shot uh, to hopefully avoid a hip or knee replacement and run for five or 10 more years or play tennis or golf or whatever it is they like to do. And then down the road, if there just is no other alternative, then maybe it's time for that joint replacement.
0: I love that. I mean, it seems like you're using surgery kind of as a last resort. You're trying all the other alternatives, which I believe is better for the for the patient in the yeah. long run.
1: That's how it should be. Sure. And, and in, to be fair, in my prior practice, practice is that I would always try, like, let's try everything else. And there's some good treatments that you do get through traditional medicine. I mean, I, I'm probably the biggest prescriber of physical therapy in all of Charleston. (laughs) Uh, I totally believe in physical therapy and there's roles for bracing and taping and all, all sorts of things. Um, and yeah, there are some surgeries that are impossible to do, but I, I will say, I definitely know, uh, large number of surgeons that if it's sorta, you could sort of make a case for surgery, but it's definitely not absolutely indicated where the MRI shows some, Partial thickness tearing, but it's not completely torn. They go straight to surgery, and I'm not sure that's always a good thing. Quite honestly, surgery has risks. You can't take that back once you do it. And so I, you know, I kind of want to be the doctor that I'd want to see because I'm really active. I lift weights every day, and but I'm also like hurting a lot, just lots of aches and pains as I get older. And I want to be the type of doctor that I'd want to see. And I think there's a lot of people like me. out there that are, Hey, let's see if there's things that get me better without the knife.
0: Interesting stuff. I I also want to be the financial advisor that other people would want to go see too. So that makes a lot of sense. And since this is a money-based podcast, Dr. Geyer, what is the hardest lesson that you've learned about money in business? The, well, the the interesting thing about most
1: Practices. Well, because and I this wasn't true maybe 10 years ago, but academics has always had what 20, 30 percent of physicians and academics, but now just a huge percentage are employed by hospitals. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the management of a practice now, all that the the money side, the billing, all that is sort of handled, which is the the real appeal to a hospital-employed practice. You don't have to deal with overhead and all this kind of stuff, but I I truly believe that we're going to see that slowly chip away and physicians are going to more and more get into, you know, go out and on their own private practices or a group will break away, uh, form an LLC and kind of do it on their own. Mm -hmm. So what I wish I had done at some point, I wish was in part of the medical school curriculum or there was some offering is, is learning the business side of a practice. And I I don't mean, I mean, you can hire a business manager and a lot, most practices probably should, but just knowing the basics of um, you know, the income and the expenses and, and, you know, cash uh, levels on hand and, and that kind of thing. um, So you just know what's going on if supplies are disappearing and things like that. So from a practice standpoint, I'd say that's important. And then on your own side, you know, unfortunately, knock on wood, I was blessed not to have to deal with student loans from medical school. But if you're not, which most physicians do have to deal with student loans after residency, try to get that as soon as possible, get that taken care of. And and you can explain, you know, debt way better than I can. But uh, I even tell like high school and college kids that ask me for advice or come by the office to shadow me for a day, which I don't really do much anymore. But I was like, go to a state medical school. You may have to be at the top of your class to get into like the Harvard residencies and place like that, mm-hmm. but you won't come out with 300, 500, three quarters of a million dollars in debt because that takes an eternity to pay off. Oh, for sure. So, you know, I went to MUSC here in Charleston. I, I would have gotten into Bowman Gray, which was Wake, Wake Forest School of Medicine. That's where I, I was at Wake undergrad, but $7,000, uh, or 300,000, you know, it just, and that was way back in the day. It was just, it was a no brainer. So that, you know, my, uh, limited, you know, not being a finance guy, that's probably what I would say.
0: That's a really good advice. Find the best alternative to go into that really expensive school. If you can make it because having to pay down those student loans, you know, that's one of the reasons why a lot of physicians not only that because they're so busy but because of the student debt that they have they can't acquire as much wealth as they would like to and they can't retire as soon as they'd like to because they're putting money into other people's pockets not their own.
1: Well it also drives uh, you know uh, kids in medical school to go into surgical fields because it's just going to make more money to pay that back and Mm -hmm. if there wasn't the student uh, loans to pay back, I, I do feel like more people would go into internal medicine, pediatrics, family medicine, and, and things like that. So, you know, that would be one of the things. And to be fair, and I have nothing against the Harvard Medical Schools and the Johns Hopkins <laughs> and, and that, but the, the only people that I would say need to be at those schools are the people that want to go into academics down the road. Then I think there's probably a better argument for that. But most, most doctors or people, when they think of, hey, I want to be a doctor, are thinking about being in a practice in whatever town they're going to live in, seeing patients, you know, on their own. I I don't, I think that you can get great residency training, fellowship training, um, but not having to spend, you know, the many, many hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical school.
0: Great point. Great point. Well, what is it you'd like our listeners to know about you, your business and any upcoming events?
1: I don't know so much about upcoming events, but if what we were talking about uh, as far as, you know, uh, functional sports medicine and, and trying to find ways to get over aches and pains uh, without surgery, you can certainly look up my practice uh, and, and and anything about all the content and media stuff I do. I love uh, helping people that I even coach uh, uh, physicians and other experts uh, wanting to do the media. So just go to my website, drdavidgeyer.com, and, and you can find out about everything I do. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer, like I said earlier, in in taking what you learn over the course of a long life and career, and trying to help as many people, whether it's other physicians or, or, or patients or just people in general. And so I would strongly encourage everybody to find their thing, their why. And, and that's been mine, has been to, to help people in a bigger way than just one-on-one in my office. And so anyway, I can sort of give my thoughts to that.
0: Certainly reach out to me uh, anytime. Well, considering what we're going to be talking about your why here, what what is your purpose and lasting legacy that you'd like to leave either in your community or globally? Mine, so I, I always explain when people ask what
1: I do, you know, I don't say oh, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I, I, I always tell people that I um, help people feel and perform their best regardless of age, injuries, and medical conditions. And so That's what I really want to do here in Charleston with patients, but it's what I want to help. That's why I do the media. I get to reach people in this sort of Charleston, greater Charleston area, and as I do other TV stations and hopefully get up to the CNN or Fox News type level uh, to really be able to help people you know, hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people at a time, not just learn how to feel and perform their best, but teach them ways to implement some of this information and these strategies, so that they do lose weight, so that their knees and shoulders do hurt less, so that they're less inflamed and just feel better, have more energy on a daily basis, and that's so why I've been so big in social media and the media, why I do it so much, is it's, it just helps helps me reach more people and really give them the tools they need to, to feel and
0: perform their best. Hey, man, that is a very good mission. I really appreciate your time with us today. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, Dr. Guyer, where can we find you?
1: I would do drdavidgeier.com. That's D R D A V I D G E I E R. And on social media, I'm same on every platform: YouTube, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, Instagram. It's Dr. David Geyer, D R D A V I D G E I E R. Uh, Happy to interact anytime. Uh, Just reach out on my website. There's a contact thing, and through all the social media, you can contact me. But uh, um, yeah, I'd love to hear if people, even if it's just, "Hey, I," you know. Saw this and uh, you know, what do you think? You know, reach out anytime.
0: I'll make sure to put all that information in the liner notes for our listeners. And I really appreciate your time. You know, we're not just here to talk about money, but we're here to talk about meaning and maximum impact. And it seems like you're doing that not even just in our community, but globally. So really thank you so much for your time, Dr. Geyer.
1: Oh, I really appreciate it. This was great. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for joining us today on Portfolio Pulse. If you found this helpful and think others deserve to hear about us as well, please like, subscribe, and share us across any platform on social media or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for today. Remember to be happy, stay healthy, and tune in next time to remain financially fit. This podcast is for information purposes only. Michael Stephen Husky is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, OSJ-6115, Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FENRA SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Pass is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Pass or Guardian. Dr. David Geyer and Dr. David Geyer Enterprises LLC are not affiliated with or endorsed by Pass, Guardian, or Husky Financial, and opinions stated are their own.